Our second reading this morning uh, comes from the Gospel of John, starting with the 31st verse of chapter 13. Let us listen for and hear God's holy word. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I'm with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May your good news come, O Lord, not only in the word spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Amen. Preachers are faced with a tough choice on Mother's Day. The preacher can choose to be brave or foolish, depending on how you want to look at it, and ignore this day altogether. It's not, after all, a liturgical holy day. In fact, it's not officially recognized at all. Anna Jarvis dreamed up the idea in 1906 at the Andrews Methodist Episcopal Church in Grafton, West Virginia, to honor her own mother. But people liked it so much that they decided to do it every year. And since then, Hallmark has co-opted it. And Lord Lord knows it's become a sacred holiday. Something like 150 million greeting cards are bought and given. Tens of millions spent on taking mom out to eat. 80 million roses are given as gifts. And the church is not exempt from all of this. A preacher friend of mine regularly gets a call from someone in her congregation around this time every year and says, I'm bringing mother to church on Mother's Day, so don't blow it. (laughs) But not everyone shares those sentiments. Another pastor describes the situation at his church. Every year during the week before Mother's Day, the church office gets a phone call from one dear older woman wanting to know what Sunday's sermon title will be. If it's not a Mother's Day sermon, she announces, I'm not coming. Then they get a second call from another younger woman who says, if he is preaching on Mother's, a Mother's Day sermon, I'm not coming. Maybe the place to begin this morning is to acknowledge that the church stands right in the middle of these two women. There are those of us who've had wonderful mothers who nurtured us and loved us, who sheltered us and cared for us. In our minds, they've become some mythical June Cleaver type, as close to perfection as you can find on earth. But while Mother's Day is a joyous day for some, it is at best a bittersweet day for others. It can be a day of great pain for sons and daughters who feel like hypocrites, showering kindness on a mother for whom they feel justifiable animosity. Some mothers, while biologically able to reproduce, 
are unable to give their children the love and nurture that they need. Some single moms don't have the support they need and feel constantly overwhelmed trying to be both father and mother to their kids. Some mothers hate the mother that they themselves have become. You may have been in churches before, I know I have, where on this day mothers are invited to stand and are given a corsage or flowers, which in and of itself is a nice way to celebrate the day. But imagine what that ritual feels like, one writer suggests, if you're the couple who's buried a child or experienced a miscarriage or a stillbirth, the single person who longs for a spouse and children, the woman who has placed a child up for adoption, the couple who struggles with infertility, the child who's buried a mother or who has witnessed a mother's illness, the mother who's alienated from her children or the child estranged from his or her mother, the stepmother who hasn't yet found her place in the family or the mother not awarded parental custody. On this day, the church stands right in the middle of all these women celebrating the joy and contentment on the one hand and recognizing the heartbreak and the longing on the other. The church stands in the middle of all of that because the church knows both the wounds of the crucified Christ and the life-changing power of our risen Lord. The church knows that God's grace and God's promises are always greater than our woundedness and our shortcomings. But still, what do we do with Mother's Day? I finally resolved the problem by remembering a bit of homiletical advice that has been around for a long, long time. A young minister newly ordained about to face her first Sunday in the pulpit frantically called her seminary professor and mentor. What should I preach about, she asked. And the wise professor answered, preach about God and preach about 15 minutes. So here I go. Beginning in this 13th chapter of John's gospel, we hear a piece of what scholars refer to as Jesus's farewell discourse. It starts with the Last Supper and ends with Jesus' arrest that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. For five full chapters, Jesus gives parting instructions to his disciples like a parent leaving the children at home overnight for the first time, rattling off a list. No parties, lock the doors as soon as I leave, no friends over while we're gone, leave the porch light on. Only instead of leaving them overnight, Jesus is preparing the disciples for his upcoming departure from them and from this world. Like a concerned parent, he too is full of advice and instructions. I go to prepare a place for you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Ask and you will receive. Go and bear fruit. And most importantly from our passage, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love one another, Jesus says. 
If ever there was a defining mark of the Christian church, this is it. Love one another. A few years ago, the Oakhurst Baptist Church in Atlanta managed to get itself booted out of the Georgia Baptist Convention for a variety of issues that had to do with biblical interpretation and inclusiveness. And this was not the first time that the congregation had done something controversial. In the 1960s, they had taken the very unpopular stand against segregation and lost two-thirds of their membership. In the 1980s, the church opened its doors to the homeless, who have been welcomed and have worshipped with them ever since. In fact, the pastor says that one time he and his young son were visiting another church, and while they were walking from the parking lot into the sanctuary, his son asked, Dad, where do the homeless live here? He assumed that you could not have a church without a place for your homeless friends. A few years later, when Oakhurst Baptist once again made it into the news for once more standing outside the bounds of what the larger church felt was acceptable, a TV crew came to the church and did some interviews. One of its members, a developmentally disabled young man named John, saw the cameras and hurried over to offer to be on television. As the reporter extended his microphone, he asked, tell me, John, what do you like about your church? John grinned and answered, they love everybody. They love everybody. What a thing to be able to say about a church. They love everybody. The problem is, isn't it, that we want to choose the people that we're going to love. We want to love the people who are easy to love, people who return our love or at least are grateful for our love. We want to love people we like. But Jesus doesn't give us that option. There's a wonderful little poem that someone discovered taped to the wall of one of the hospitals of the Sisters of Charity in Calcutta, one of the hospitals of Mother Teresa. And this poem has been attributed from, to everyone from Mother Teresa to Carl Menninger, but it was actually written nearly 50 years ago by a 19-year-old sophomore at Harvard named Kent Keith. He called them his paradox, paradoxical commandments. And they go something like this. People are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. People favor underdogs and only follow top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you help them. Help people anyway. Give the world the best you have, and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world your best anyway. People are hard to love. Love them anyway. I think that's exactly what Jesus is trying to say. Love them anyway, period. And I don't think it's a coincidence 
that this is the passage we have this morning. Not only is today Mother's Day, but it's also the first day of what many churches are beginning to celebrate as the week of the Christian family. Believe me, I don't hold any romanticized notions about what a family is. For many, their families are happy and great and healthy. But I also know that families are places where there's conflict and disagreement and often pain. And I know that that's that's true for the family of God as well. But I also know that we don't choose our families and we don't leave our families easily. Home, as Robert Frost says, is the place where when when you have to go there, they have to take you in. That means we don't give up on each other because of a spat over the dinner table or a disagreement about whose turn it is to pick a show to watch on Netflix. For better or for worse, we're stuck with our families. And for better or for worse, we're stuck with the family of God. And it's there, in those less than ideal circumstances, surrounded by sometimes difficult people with annoying quirks and irritating flaws, that we learn what it means to love one another anyway. Love one another. This passage has been on my mind a lot this week, probably because of what else is going on in the world around us. I think about the upcoming, uh, coming up on, that we're coming up on another nasty and divisive midterm election year in which not a day will go by without one candidate slandering the other. And I wonder what it would be like to have an honest and honorable campaign based on the needs of our nation and the concerns of our common life. Love one another anyway. I look at the horrific stories and pictures that show up online and in the paper every day from Ukraine. Pictures of angry and frightened and weary people fighting for freedom against an oppressive authoritarian government. And I wonder if there isn't some way this nation of ours could demonstrate to the world a different way to relate to one another, a different way to live together, to love one another anyway. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life. Love one another, period. John Brown is the pastor of the Old Bergen Church in Jersey City, New Jersey. He has two young adult children who he raised as a single dad after getting full custody when they were very, very young. John tells the story about his daughter, Alyssa, from when she was about five. When she was starting kindergarten, they did the usual standardized testing with the school system to figure out where she was developmentally and what kind of classroom she, was, she should be placed in. Of course, John went along and sat there next to her during the evaluation. The woman who was administering the test was asking conceptual questions. And one of those questions she asked was, if you walked into a dark room, what's the first thing you would do? Alyssa thought about that for a moment and then said, that's easy. You take somebody's hand. 
The woman rifled through the pages of her testing binder for a moment before she finally looked up and said, you know what? That answer is nowhere inside this book, but it's the best answer I've ever heard. The world can be a dark place sometimes. Take somebody's hand. That's what Jesus is suggesting. The world is a dark place. People will deny you and betray you, and malign you, and torture you, and maybe even crucify you. Love them anyway. Amen.